The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Is the present state of Israel the same nation as ancient biblical Israel? Do verses in the Bible concerning the future of Israel apply today to the modern state of Israel? Now, this is a serious question, and the answer seems so obvious to me, yet it's sadly debated in church circles and the secular world. If the modern state of Israel is still God's instrument, and if he is using the modern state of Israel to fulfill Bible prophecies, shouldn't this certainly be of great interest to Bible believers everywhere? The Passion Drama of Christ is one of the world's great spectacles, performed only once a decade in the German village of Oberammergau. The tour begins this September with two days in historic Prague, then on to Leipzig, the home of Bach. We'll walk through historic Wittenberg to learn about the Reformation fires set by Martin Luther then on to Eisenach and the amazing castles of Bavaria, before ending with the historic highlight of Oberammergau. The week-long tour includes private coach travel, local guides, charming hotels with breakfast and dinner each night. For information, visit our events page on our website, exploits.tv. Shalom, I'm Christine Darig. Today to explore a conundrum about the restored nation of Israel after 2,000 years of exile from the Holy Land. Is the modern state of Israel a continuation of the Israel that we know from this Bible? Theologians who don't think so point out that the modern state of Israel is governed as a secular democracy that officially makes no claim to rely on the God of the Bible. Naysayers point out that the founders of Israel in 1948 did not name the God of Israel as the one responsible for their statehood. Secular Jewish politicians, in fact, balked at the suggestion of putting God's name in the National Declaration scroll. Finally, it was decided there was a compromise that the word rock would appear in the Declaration of Independence instead of Hebrew names for God. Well, I personally think reference to the rock was inspired because it's also a messianic title. I believe God is sovereign in all such details. Time was whenever the American ambassador traveled by car to Jerusalem to meet with Israeli officials, the car's diplomatic license plates had to be taken off and replaced with regular civilian license plates because previous American administrations did not recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. President Harry Truman was the first world leader to recognize the state of Israel just moments after David Ben-Gurion declared Israel's independence on May 14, 1948. 
But before President Trump, many American politicians merely regarded Israel as a place of refuge for Holocaust survivors. They didn't perceive the new nation as a rebirth of the same nation from this Bible. They didn't view modern Israelis as the descendants of the kings, prophets, and priests of the Bible. So my question is, was the reemergence of a nation called Israel in the Holy Land a fulfillment of many Bible prophecies after nearly two millennia? Or is this just a place for Jewish people to hide from their many enemies? While many evangelicals and Protestants fervently believe that the modern state of Israel did indeed fulfill many Bible prophecies. In fact, many evangelicals believe that God's promise in Genesis 12:3 to Abraham still applies today. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. Meanwhile, anti-Semitism has been growing at an alarming rate and part of the problem is that Judaism has been seen only as a religion and not as a nationality. However, in a move that one lawyer called one of the most important events in the 2,000-year battle against anti-Semitism, President Trump recently signed an executive order that would effectively allow the United States government to interpret Judaism as both a religion and as a race or nationality under federal law. This new executive order would allow the Education Department to take direct action against those disturbing anti-Semitic incidences on college campuses. The executive order states that if Jews are discriminated against for ethnic, racial, or national characteristics, they are entitled to protection by the anti-discrimination law. Noting that there's been a rise in anti-Semitic incidents since 2013, the Trump administration began a policy process to figure out specifically what to do to combat this anti-Semitism. And it's important to define anti-Semitism. It's been defined as a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews, denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination, and even claiming that the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor. But under the new executive order, and this is important, attacking the nation of Israel as being racist would be discrimination against a nationality. How important is this in the battle for free speech? Well, former member of Knesset Rabbi Yehuda Glick has resigned from politics to work for peace by starting the Shalom Jerusalem Foundation. And Rabbi Glick stated that the presidential executive order aligns American higher education policy with biblical fact. This is because, according to Rabbi Glick, Judaism is a nationality, and this should be absolutely clear now that he said, We've returned to our homeland, and once again, we have our own language. And that, he said, is a simple definition of nationality. When God first called out to Abraham, he said that he would establish him as a nation. And both of his sons, Ishmael and Isaac, 
became the fathers of nations. It would be hypocritical to say that the Arabs are the descendants of Ishmael, and they are a nation, and the Jews, as the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, are not a nation. God promised the Holy Land to the Jewish nation as a homeland. Rabbi Glick also commented that we need to be a nation in order to fulfill all of our functions that we're supposed to do as a nation. We're supposed, he said, to be a source of blessing for the nations, to establish a house of prayer for all nations, and to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Meanwhile, favorable foreign policies, such as President Trump has been implementing towards Israel, are viewed by many Bible believers as a means of obtaining blessings from the Almighty. But of course, not every theologian has this view. One seminary president may affirm that he believes God made specific promises to the Jews as a people, including ownership of the Holy Land forever. But other professing Christians are hostile to Israel and make the claim that the decisive end of national Israel as the people of God happened in A.D. 70, and that God has raised up a new nation, the church, to be his people. This point of view is called replacement theology, the belief that the Christian church has replaced national Israel regarding the plans, purposes, and promises of God. However, such erroneous teaching as replacement theology, and it's really unbelief, it makes God a liar and negates the fact that God is a covenant keeper with Israel. What about the many, many promises in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament that God will restore Israel in the last days? Should these promises be cut out of the Bible? Of course not. Can Christians trust a God who will not keep his word to the Jewish people? Of course we couldn't. But meanwhile, in the face of miraculous ongoing events in our generation concerning the regathering of the Jewish people to their historic homeland, against all odds, many Christian scholars regard the regathering of millions of Jews during the last half of the 20th century as a glorious fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But stubbornly, willfully, Many oppose and also do not believe the nation-state of Israel, born in 1948, fulfilled biblical prophecy because they're only looking at the secular beginnings of the state of Israel. In effect, they're despising the day of small beginnings. These replacement theologians seem to have no vision, and especially they seem to have no faith in the ultimate prophesied outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the new Israeli nation. The question has to be asked, do they really want Israel to be saved? Woefully, shamefully, they've just written off Israel. Such replacement theologians quote the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, where Paul talked about who a true Israelite is, one who has the Spirit of God, whose hearts are circumcised. We also read in Romans 9, 6, where Paul says not all who are Israel are descended from Israel. But we can't stop there, because in the same chapter, Paul quotes the prophet Hosea. As God said in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my beloved who is not my beloved. 
But then in verse 26, God says it will happen that in the very place where it was said to the Jewish people, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. And if we're going to quote the Apostle Paul on the subject, we mustn't forget what he said in Romans chapter 11. Paul admonished the church not to be arrogant and puffed up against the Jews because he said God has the power to revive them again. And this, Paul said, is, is exactly what God will do in the last days after the full number of the Gentiles has been saved. The New Testament teaches that the Jews will not be cut off. In Romans 11, Paul explains that Israel as a nation, after enduring judgment, will come again into God's true fold at last, according to the design of God. Although God's ways have seemed at times inscrutable, he is having mercy upon all of us, Gentile and Jew alike. So it's necessary to ask, what does the Bible actually teach? For a Christian, this word is the only authority on the subject of Israel that should be recognized. Even though sadly, tragically, most people today are biblically illiterate, and that's the main problem. If people only really knew this Bible, our discussion today wouldn't even be necessary. So I want to take you through some scriptures. We can listen to God's voice, and then you can decide if the modern state is the beginning of a revival or just a political anomaly. You can decide if God's hand is in all of this. Okay, here we go. In the beginning, in the Torah, God made everlasting covenants with the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob to possess the Holy Land. So you don't want God to be finished with a Jew because if he can cast them aside, then he can also cast aside the Christians. No, he's going to be faithful to his word. He is faithful even when we are not. God prophesied that after being settled in the Holy Land, the Jews would disobey him and that they would eventually be punished by being scattered amongst all the nations. But God defended his own character and faithfulness to his covenants by also saying that in the last days, he will regather the Jewish people back to their own land. Listen to portions from Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord your God, it says, will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. He says, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there, the Lord your God will gather you back. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the lands which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. For it says, the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your forefathers. How can anybody interpret that differently? That God says in the last days, he will regather the Jewish people and make them a nation again. There's a principle here that when God says Israel, he's speaking of the nation, not the church. 
One of the most stunning Bible prophecies, and there are so many, is found over in Jeremiah chapter 16. And starting with verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it'll no longer be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For God says, I am going to bring them back to their own land, which I gave to their forefathers. Then he says, behold, I will send for many fishermen and they shall fish for them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt for them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. I submit to you that these verses have already been dramatically fulfilled. Before the Nazi Holocaust, many Jewish emissaries tried to convince the comfortable European Jews to return to the Holy Land, but very few listened. Those emissaries were the Zionist movement fishermen who were sent to lure the Jewish people back home. Well, some heeded and some returned, but only a small number. And then God had to unleash the hunters. If you were a Jew living in Germany prior to World War II and somebody told you, based upon holy scriptures, that the Nazis were planning to exterminate you, would you have believed them? Well, many didn't. And the Nazis literally hunted them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks because they didn't get out in time. Let's listen also to stunning end time prophecies in Jeremiah chapter 31. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout amongst the chief of nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. And then he says, behold, I will bring them from the north country. Indeed, so many have returned from the former Soviet Union. Their number is almost two million presently. And then Jeremiah 31 goes on, and I will gather them from the ends of the earth, and among them the blind, the lame, the woman with child, one in labor, they'll come together. A great throng shall return. Now, I have fulfilled the following prophecy many times by declaring these verses in the islands all over the world. It says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the islands afar off and say, say what? Say he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand stronger than he. I spent many years studying these prophecies and there's so many in the book of Ezekiel as well. In Ezekiel eleven seventeen, we read, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries where you've been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. God prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36 that he will take the Jewish people from amongst the nations and gather them out of all countries and bring them back into what he calls your own land. Isn't this clear? God says, I will make you inhabited as in former times, but I'm going to do better things for you than at your beginning. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
Then prophesying of the future revival, God says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'm going to take from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This sounds very clear to me. And people will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And then the nations shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, no program on the subject of the ongoing fulfillment of Bible prophecies would be complete without including Amos chapter 9, a stunning prophecy that I've seen fulfilled before my very eyes many times in biblical Judea and Samaria. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows seed and the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. And I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit. I will plant them in their own land, and they will no longer be pulled up from the land. I have given them, says the Lord your God. These verses that I'm mentioning today are only a small portion of many prophecies. In Ezekiel 37, we have the amazing vision of the dry bones describing the Holocaust and the subsequent rebirth and ongoing restoration of Israel. Ezekiel 37 predicts a physical return of the people first to the land and then the spiritual return of the people to the Lord. Jewish people have returned to the land, but the spiritual return to the Lord is still in the future, as described in that great prophecy in Zechariah 12.10, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being outpoured on Jerusalem. However, they're regathering initially to the land. This is the first phase, and we're seeing it fulfilled before our eyes. Ezekiel 37.14 describes the soon coming revival where God says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. After the Jewish people are regathered to their land, according to Ezekiel 37, the next chapter predicts an all-out invasion of the land of Israel by a horde of nations, including Russia, Persia, which is modern-day Iran, Central Asia, Libya, Turkey, and Sudan. This invasion occurs while Israel is at peace and living securely in her own land. Therefore, Ezekiel's chapter 38 and 39 describe the Jewish people back in their land in the last days and the coming war called the Gog and Magog War. Listen to some of these verses. Therefore, thus says the Lord, when I have brought them back, from the peoples and gathered them out of all of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them 
in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord who sent the Jewish people into captivity amongst the nations, but that I also brought them back to their land. And I will not hide my face from them anymore. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So any so-called Christian who belittles and discounts these prophecies as being willful, in my humble opinion. Hosea 3.5 is another precious promise. It says, afterward, and what does afterward mean? In the last days, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. That's an idiom for Messiah, and they're doing that right now. And it says, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So the redemption progress is clearly underway, and the other nations are beginning to recognize the Jews as a nation, with Jerusalem as the nation's capital, and the world center for faith in God. Pastors, teachers, and activists who stubbornly advocate replacement theology don't need to be threatened or disturbed by the fact that God is restoring Israel at this time. Instead, they should rejoice that God is being faithful to his promises. But having said all of that, it still also needs to be stated that Israel was never intended to be the end of God's saving purposes but the means of his salvation. Israel was meant to be his witnessing people to the fact that there's only one true God and there's only one true Savior. From the beginning, it was the intention of God to be the God of the entire earth, to circle the globe with the glory of his salvation. And scripture is clear, there's only one God for the whole world and there's only one Savior for the whole world. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Savior of the world. Yes, Jesus is the only Savior the world has. And Israel must be reconstituted in the last days in order to summons Jesus back. Because you see, Scripture says in the book of Acts that Jesus must be retained in heaven until the restoration of all things, and that includes the restoration of the nation of Israel. Jesus will rule the world from the ancestral throne of his father, David, and the temple will be the house of prayer for all nations. The God of Israel is the God of all nations. There is no other, and there's no other Savior but Jesus. There are many religions, but only one Savior. So why is the cross of the Savior such a stumbling block? Well, the cross is an affront to the pride of human beings, because the cross says that it's through the lowliness and sacrifice of the Savior that a person can be justified by faith, saved and healed by God. Therefore, the cross exposes the sham of worldly wisdom. Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The commentaries on this verse teach the heroic character of the faith of Paul, who was, after all, a rabbi. But he deliberately preached the doctrine of the cross because he felt in the cross lay the salvation of the world. Although he was well aware that 
the power of the cross was a revolting subject to unregenerate hearts. To his fellow Jews, the cross was the tree of shame and horror. A crucified person was a curse of God, according to the Torah. And to the Greeks, the cross was a stake of infamy, a murderer's punishment. So it's my prayer today that you are trusting in the cross, in the atonement procured by Jesus on the cross as Messiah crucified, the Lamb of God. There's more to say, but no more time to say it. Apart from reminding you that we publish a free ministry magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events, which you can request or read through our website, exploits.tv. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store that has information about all of our archive of videos, our eBooks, and an important Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith once delivered to the saints and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. The Passion Drama of Christ is one of the world's great spectacles, performed only once a decade in the German village of Oberammergau. The tour begins this September with two days in historic Prague, then on to Leipzig, the home of Bach. We'll walk through historic Wittenberg to learn about the Reformation fires set by Martin Luther, then on to Eisenach and the amazing castles of Bavaria, before ending with the historic highlight of Oberammergau. The week-long tour includes private coach travel, local guides, charming hotels with breakfast and dinner each night. For information, visit our events page on our website, exploits.tv.